And I want you to keep studying Matthew 21 and 22. We're not going to stop there. If you want to, if you're ahead of the program, study 24 and 25 as well, because what we are studying, and uh, I also said John 14 through 17, and you can include 13 and 12 with that if you if you want to broaden your your studies, because all these things are the things that are happening the week before Jesus Christ was crucified. And so we are uh, going to see scripturally what through these things, what God's holy purpose is for our lives. I once heard a guy teaching uh, and uh, he just made a simple phrase. He says, instead of trying to get God to bless what we're doing, we ought to try to do what he's blessing. So that's the difference between our own purpose and his purpose. And uh, even for Christians, if you just think that what you do is for the glory of God, that's good. Amen. Praise God. But uh, what you want to do, if you want to do his purpose... Um, we all know the scripture, all things work together for good to them. And we, we kind of live off the second half uh, because it says to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. And it's not according to our own purpose, but according to his purpose. And I even heard as, as I was had been studying this for some uh, some time, Matthew 21 and 22. Uh, and the others as well. Um, I heard of another sermon, and this person was saying uh, that there's no place in the Bible where it says God's going to give give you your dreams. No, he said, follow me, and your dreams will follow you. <laughs> you know, but it's his purpose. And we talked about purpose quite a bit. I'm going to kind of shift from here because... Uh, we we uh, we all know that Al Beldanza passed away, and we've had prayers for him already, and prayers for the family. We don't need really to pray for him. He's to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So he's present with the Lord, but it's okay to grieve uh, and mourn. Even God says, "Precious in the sight of, of his his sight." is the death of his saints. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) I have to get this wonderful drink of cold water uh, that uh, AJ brings me every week. And then I got a bottle of water back there that is brought for me by Robert and Vera. (laughs) It's like, you know, eat your heart out. Uh, and it's really special. And if you ever see me not baking bread in the morning, it's because Robert Vera brings it back to me. And that's really special to me because I love them so much. Um, <clears throat> but Al Baldanza, this has been a kind of a nostalgia time for me 
I was, there was the, the signs with him being in the hospital and with what the doctors were saying that it, his death was imminent. I really didn't believe that that was going to be happen. I just, he's tougher than nails and, and I just really thought that, uh, he was gonna, uh, come through it. And there are a lot of times when the Lord has, I don't know if you call it bless me or whither or what. I think it's the Lord who tells me when somebody that I know and love is going to die. Uh, Jamie passed away a couple of weeks ago and um, I tried to find out where he was because I had a feeling. I, we had a testimony at Teen Challenge by a guy by the name of Tom Miller says, God says, quit calling me a feeling. <laughs> you know, but uh, I think the Lord put it on my heart that Jamie was in danger of committing suicide, which he did. And I was trying to find out, and I was unable to find out where he was, or and he didn't have a phone. And so, but this time with, with, with Al, I didn't have that feeling. I had a feeling like he's going to get through it. So, whatever, whatever reason that was. But um, I had a little nostalgia after that. And I just wanted to tell you that the Baldanzas joined our church when I first came to Oneana. It was um, September, end of September, beginning of October, uh, 42 years ago. So it's been 42 and a half years. And we weren't here but a, a very short while. Because I know that because when we first came here, we rented this building. And it was not what it appears to be now. It was rotting carpet, multi-tiered layers up here, and all of it was rotting and siding over the windows. The ceiling was dark brown, and it was dark in here with all the lights on. And uh, there was just a small area right over in that area right there. you get about 20 chairs set up is all the room we had. And those were those hard, small, fold-up chairs. And we had mm, usually about an attendance of 10. Uh, if, we, if everybody came at the same time, it might be 20. And half of those were college students. So uh, with we, this ministry and this church birthed out of a college ministry. That's why the college ministry is so important to us. And so I remember over in that area uh, preaching and um, the Baldanzas came while we were here and we weren't here very long because we couldn't afford the rent. It's $25 a week. And so, you know, uh, they had agreed to give me $75 a week and uh, 25, big chunk of that. 
So we, they usually didn't have enough money to pay me. And so and then I got a raise to $100 a week real quick. Boy, I thought I was on Easy Street then. So anyways, uh, we met here for just a short while, and then we moved over to First Baptist, which is now bought by the, the synagogue, Jewish, Jewish uh, organization. And so, uh, but we met in a room there, and we could get about 115 in there like sardines. And so, but we were here when the Baldanzas joined us because it like doubled our congregation. Because it wasn't just them, but they brought a family with them that was from the, and they lived out at the farm. And it's always nice to have your congregation doubled, you know. And so uh, we took to them right away, and uh, they took to us. We were, I was invited to be a part of another church, which was called Full Gospel Lighthouse. And uh, we, uh, I was an elder in this church and an elder in that church. And uh, we, uh, they owned a bookstore right down the street from Good News uh, Bookstore on Elm Street. And so uh, that was later, and Al was invited to become an elder of the Full Gospel Lighthouse. And then we merged the two places together. So some of us were already elders in that one and this one, and we merged together. And that's how our corporation is Full Gospel Lighthouse. So that's how that happened. For some of you that, if you can make the memorial, and we haven't decided on a day yet, I, I'm not deciding that. That's going to be the Baldanzas. But um, <clears throat> um, when we were meeting, we were meeting in a, like I said, they, we left here. It was owned by the Knights of Columbus. It was first built by, I think I got this right, Lutherans, and then the First Baptist got it from the Lutherans, and then the Knights of Columbus got it from the First Baptist, and First Baptist moved over there. And so I think this is about the oldest building-wise church in Oneana, but I'm not sure. 1835 was when it was uh, built. Um, at any rate... Um, we met over there, but um, Al Baldanza was one of the elders, and he was the treasurer, and he says, uh, the Knights of Columbus want to buy, sell this building, and most of us are like, yeah, why would we want this building? It's a putrescent green with water stains all over the walls, and it was just ugh, disgusting. And, uh, and so... Uh, the, the, the carpet, it had boards in it that seemed to, every step that you take, you were going to fall through. As a matter of fact, Chuck Budney fell through. Speaking of Chuck Budney, his mother passed away two weeks ago, uh, Maria Budney, who was part of our church back in the day. And so there's been a lot of people that we know, that we love, loved ones of ours that have passed away. Husbands and brothers and uh, son-in-laws and, and and many others. I count up to fifteen in the last twelve months. Uh, not all members of our church, but related to our church one way or another. And um, it's been some some people have been very 
much part of our church. Um, Al Bildanza came in and says, I want, I want to check out buying this building. Well, go ahead, check it out. He says, they want 35000 for it. <laughs> we, didn't have, we didn't have any money. We even had the audacity to be a debt-free church. You know, We weren't going to be going to debt. 35000 I think we had $6,000 in the bank at that time. And so he, he says, they come down to 25000 <laughs> So what? <laughs> That's still way out there. And then he says... Could I have permission to offer them $15,000? That's interesting because, see, we elders, I remember discussing whether or not to buy a $25 fan for like an hour and a half. $25 fan. It's like... Back when I was back at Teen Challenge, our board discussed for 45 minutes whether we were going to have a rose radish on the salad plate when we had a fundraiser. So, anyway, Al says, I'd like to offer him $15,000 for it. And everybody said, <laughs> go ahead. I mean, what? they're not about to take that, okay? And uh, he says, they said put it in writing. Uh oh. <laughs> so we said, well, if we can raise the money through the congregation, and you can put that in the the proposal, if we can raise the money through the congregation, um, then um, we will we'll buy it. Then with all the closing and everything else, well, so we I remember Fran and Baldanza and the rest of us were sitting around saying. Who could pledge, not if they come into the money, but literally pledge the money? Who could pledge such and such a money by? And we came up, we came up with about a total of $8,000 by then. Now by then we've got, by the way, we've got about 115 people coming in, in the, in the thing over there. The place was jam-packed full. Of course, about 50 of them were college students, you know. So anyway, um, we, we said, uh-oh. So we made that contingency that we would raise the money through the congregation. And we come up, and I, I think we come up with between six and $8,000 that we could probably get if everybody really stretched their wallets, you know. So we don't know where that's going to come from. And so uh, I have not told people this for some time. But, so I won't tell you who did this. But I'll tell you that his wife passed away uh, just a couple of months ago, and uh, and he lives he lived in Maryland, New York. So just just saying. I'm, so I'm not telling you who it was. But he called me on the phone. And he says, uh, "Would you come over here and get ten thousand dollars cash that I'd like to donate toward the building?" And uh, that brought us up. And by the time, and and by the way, it wasn't six to eight thousand. It was uh, about twelve to fifteen, I think, with a thousand that was pledged. So we had the money, and we came up with the money, and then we completely started redoing this place. 
and I've counted that we put in about 2,300 man hours the first week. We had so many people working here and, and working hard. And so it was Al Baldanza that initiated that whole thing of the Lord, of course. But see, uh, that's why you see the nostalgia with Al Baldanza. And uh, so we wouldn't be here in this building today. I, I don't know. Maybe we'd still be renting a room from the synagogue over there. So um, I want you to, we're going to deviate from the program a little bit. Just go back to that prayer in Ephesians 1, verse 15. Now, this is nostalgia for me, too, because um, this August is my anniversary uh, that my wife and I got married and, in a castle in Riverside, California. And uh, that was 44, that'll be 44 years ago this August. And we came out to New York uh, and visited quite a few places. But we came here as well to Oneonta because she had uh, was going to Hartwick when she got saved. And, and she was part of a group called Fisherman's Wharf. And so I see that uh, there's, I, uh, if I'm missing somebody, please forgive me. But there's, I think there's three of us here today. Uh, four, actually. <laughs> the Deerigs. Uh, and that's all the Deerigs that were here. There weren't any other Deerigs <laughs> at that time. Rodney, I think you got married about a month difference than us, wasn't it? A week before or after. Rodney and Diane got married uh, a week after we did. Pat was here. The th- three right over there uh, were here when we first came here. Now, we came here a, the, a year before in August. And uh, I was actually asked to come then. And I said, I don't think I'm ready for that. And after I got here for a while, I, one of my favorite sayings is by Shakespeare, and that's, fools rush in where angels fear to tread. And that's kind of, we, we, the worst winter that we've had since I've been here was the first winter. And I'm not just saying that because any winter would have been bad for us. We came here from Southern California, you know. But on the side roads, they had walls of snow that they shot up over the thing. And, and I don't know how many times my wife kept saying, it's not like this every winter. Sometimes it doesn't even snow before Christmas. And I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> sure. Oh, my word. I wanted to turn around and leave. I wanted so badly. But I preached back at Teen Challenge. I taught a class back there. I basically taught the basics uh, of the uh, tenets of faith of the Assembly of God because we all went to the Assemblies of God. Don't anybody get the urge? Uh, anyway, please. <laughs> so anyway, um, the first sermon that I preached in New York 
was what I'm going to share with you right now. When we came out, my wife and I made a little decision that on our honeymoon, we were going to memorize the book of Ephesians. And we did. We had it. We worked on it every day together. And then by the time we got back to California, we had the book of Ephesians memorized. And so this is out of the book of Ephesians. Last Sunday, we had uh, campus ambassadors, Chris uh, Deemer speaking here. And if you noticed, uh, after everybody shared and he preached, he preached, it was on the Trinity, right? And everything he said, amen, I say, amen to everything. But I'm going to share something that is important to me. And before you write me some, any of you write me some nasty letter, I've already got them. I've got them all, and I haven't changed yet. And this is, this is counting 44 years, August, that I still believe what I believe. So deal with it. Now, if you agree with me, you're going to love it. All right? If you never thought of it, then I'm praying this prayer. Okay. So he says this, Wherefore, I heart, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints... This is simply, uh, this is a prayer meant primarily for the believer. It's even meant primarily for the mature believer, because it says, after I heard of your faith and love unto all the saints. Cease not, cease not to give thanks for you. We're going to go along. Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Now, to really understand what he's praying about, you've got to go back and read the rest of the, the beginning of the chapter all the way through to this. So, But you do that another time. It says, The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding may be enlightened that you may know the hope of his calling. What is the hope of his calling? What is the hope of his calling? This is a prayer. I pray for you a lot. I hope that you understand the hope of his calling. Not a calling that you come up with, but his calling on your life. And it says this, and the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power Toward us who believe, to usward who believe, according to the work, and leave this up just a second, according to the working of his mighty power. I want you to know something, and I, you don't have to come up and tell me that God is uh, omnipotent, omnipotent, you know. Omnipotent comes from potent, which means is a name for power. He's all powerful, all right? There is no limit, right? So what I'm about to say is a little hyperbole, but he's using the hyperbole. You understand what I'm saying? It's like this. What is the exceeding, extreme word, greatness, extreme, of his power, say to us, to us who believe, according to the working 
Working is, is usually translated from the Greek word ergon, which we get ergonomics from. It's like uh, the most... The, ergonomics, uh, something that is, er, that is when you have the right amount of power to do the right job. You understand? That's, the, that's ergonomics. It's coming up with, you don't have any more power than you need to do the job. It's what's the most efficient way of doing the job. And so that's the working of his mighty power. There's, there's, there's an extreme to it. I'm thinking that he is going, and I'm going to tell you that this is the most singular, powerful thing that God has ever done or ever will do. Even to the point where I'm going to tell you that I believe he pushed it, pushed himself to the limit of his power. Now, what did I say before? There is no limit, okay? But that's for us to see it this way. So he says, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So I believe that what God did took every bit of his power, or more than anything God's ever done, spoke the universe into existence. Nothing, nothing compared to this. Nothing compared to this. So it says this, according to the working of his mind, which was wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and this I want you to understand this. This is an ongoing, we, you know, I, I, saw, I noticed Rakesh a while ago, he thought he should stop where we were, but it's an ongoing part of the prayer. And so it says this, and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And he hath put all things, get back, this is all what, what he, the process of when he raised Christ from the dead, and that this is the process, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him. Now, I want to just take a, a, deviate just a little bit here because this is actually very incredible. We say, he says in Colossians, that we find our fullness in him. That word fullness would be better uh, translated completeness. We, as a people, as a person, we find our individual completement in Christ. You are incomplete. But just as God looked down, made man, male and female, created he them, he looked down and he saw man, and after his, the creation of man is the first time he didn't, he, he didn't say, and it was good. He said it was not good. That's right. He's created man, and he says, it's not good that he should be alone. And then he took out of man a rib 
to make his bride, Eve. So we know that, all right? On the cross, Jesus was crucified and he took out of himself, God opened his side up, water and blood rushed out of his heart. They say it's from a, a, a burst heart. And so he, it rushed out of him and God creates Jesus' bride, which is the church. Now here's the interesting thing. It says, which is his body, also is what we are, his body, the fullness of him. Do you understand what that just said? We, I, you, me, we find our completement in him. But he, Jesus, finds his completement in us. Like we're the bride, we are now Eve, and he is Adam, the last Adam. And so we are bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. We are, and he is incomplete without us. Just as Adam was incomplete without Eve. All right, that's, that's, that. take it or leave it. The fullness of him that filleth all in all. Okay, that's the last verse. All right, leave it up there for a minute, okay? Till I'll tell you. When Rodney was reading a while ago from, what is it? Second Corinthians 5? Yes. The last verse in Second Corinthians 5 says something uh, which I stand on. And uh, it is... Jesus was made sin. Now we know he was sinless, right? But he was made sin by God, the Father. Jesus, the Father, made him sin. You know what with? Our sin. Our sin. Yours, mine, everyone we've ever done, everyone we will ever do. Everyone that everybody on the face of the earth has ever done and ever will do. He was made sin for God's all of the world that he gave his son. Jesus was made sin with the sin of the world. There's another verse of scripture that says God poured out the wrath that he had against mankind. And if you study the prophets, he's got a little wrath. He had a little wrath built up on him. When he destroyed the world with Noah, you know, during the time of Noah, he had a little wrath built up on him. And it says that God poured out his wrath on his son. Right? Now, when Jesus is on the cross and he quotes Psalm 22, and he wasn't just quoting it because Psalm 22 is about the crucifixion. Read it. But he wasn't just quoting it because it, it was prophetic. He quoted it because something happened to him. You know what that something was? He was made sin who knew no sin. And when he was made sin who knew no sin, the father turns his back on the son. Now at that point, that's where Jesus says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he had forsaken him. He forsook him so that you and I might not be forsaken. You know, everything was laid on him so that we could be free from him. 
All right, now, Isaiah 53 is all about the crucifixion. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you what, we're going to read it real quickly. Put up Isaiah 53, verse 1. Be ready to come back to this, okay? Isaiah 53. It's about the crucifixion. This is one of the, what is called the servant, Messiah servant songs. The servant songs. It's about the Messiah as a servant. And there's seven of them in Isaiah. And this is one of them, probably the primary one. Who hath believed our report? To whom is the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up as a, a, a tender plant and as a root of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire of him. Most theologians believe that's when he's on the cross. You couldn't even recognize him as a human being. He says, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And we hid as it was our faces from him. See, God didn't just turn his face on. Everybody turned their face on him, it says. And we hid our faces from him. And he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs. He hath carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Did you catch that smitten of God? But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. That word bruised means literally pierced through. Pierced through. He was chastised. The chastisement that was, the uh, the Amplified Bible says, that was needed for our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us has gone our own way. But the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Keep going, please. He was oppressed and he was afflicted and he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before the shearer is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from the judgment. And, from, and who shall declare his generation? I, I'd love to preach a whole sermon about that, that, that one verse that is just so powerful, and we just kind of go over it. But I'll tell you about it another time. For he was cut off out of the land of the living, and for the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. You get this picture? He was not only a serving Messiah, he was a suffering Messiah. And he made his grave, and we're going to stop with this one. He made his grave with the wicked uh, in, and with the rich in his death. And if you've got a Bible with you, and it's a, a, a you have a Bible, right there where it says death. You're following this? Oh, yeah. Is there a number by that or a letter by that? Or is this a, a reference Bible? Uh, I don't have, just by they made, I have a number one. Okay. Well, if you have a reference Bible, you'll have a little number by it. And you know, out to the side, it will say deaths, plural. He made his grave with the wicked and his deaths. Okay? Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. And it goes on. Now, that's important. Deaths. Why plural? Well, here's the deal. Jesus on the cross died physically, but he also died spiritually. Now, let me explain. The spiritual death, 
did not mean he ceased to exist. Spiritual death and what hell is, and I'm not saying it isn't all the things it talks about in the Bible, where the worm dieth not, black hell fire. Okay? But that isn't the, the worst of it. Where hell is, is where God isn't. You see? Where his presence is withdrawn. God is everywhere. And if he withdrew his presence from this world today, we're gone. So, what Jesus, when he, when he went in the Garden of Gethsemane and he knelt before him, he says, Father, wept great drops of blood. He was not, in my opinion, he was not concerned with being crucified. Now, let me tell you something. I, I, I totally love my Lord that was crucified for me, who died for me. If that's all he did, it would be way more, shed his blood for me. It would be plenty for me. I can't, I, you know, I, you've seen the passion and the whipping and the crown of thorns and the carrying of the cross and the splinters of the cross in his back and then him hanging there and the pierce. You know, you know I mean, it was, a great, it was one of the most suffering deaths you, you could you go through. But I don't believe that's what he was concerned about when he said, may this cup pass from me no, if you look at what Paul suffered, it's more over a period of time than what Jesus suffered. Paul received 39 stripes five times. Thrice beat with rods. Stoned to death twice. Well, once he, once, well, he didn't get stoned to death and he wasn't dead. And the other time he dead and they brought him back to life. So it wasn't the crucifixion that concerned it was that last little bit when he was made sin that knew no sin. And the father turns his back on him. And if you're a father, you died more than your son did. <laughs> you understand? What the father was going through was just as bad as what the son was going through. Maybe worse. So what happened? This is why I believe in the Trinity. See, I believe there was a Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they're one. But on that day, they are no longer one. Because sin, Jesus was made sin. And he made his grave with the wicked in his deaths. He died physically, and then the Father had cut the fellowship that had been from eternity past and would go eternity future, except at this moment. I believe that every angel in heaven was quaking. It had never been done before. God was going to be divided. It had never happened before. 
I believe the angels, and I don't have chapter and verse for this, but I believe the angels says this, the universe cannot, cannot survive this. I remember J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings trilogy when Frodo's going to take that ring up to the doom and the elven queen Gladriel says the, the survival of Middle Earth is balanced on the blade of a knife. And I said, oh, you got it. You got it, Tolkien. Tolkien was a Christian, wrote that. It was filled with the Lord. <laughs> the Godhead is going to be divided. Now, are you beginning to get the picture that when God raised his son from the dead, it's going to be the greatest, most powerful thing he has ever done? Let's go back to that verse in, in Ephesians. Ephesians 1, 23, I believe. All right. Now I'm going to tell you why exactly it was so amazingly powerful. Ephesians 1, verse 23, please. Chapter 1, verse 23. It's the end of the prayer. Or is there just 22? I've got it memorized, but I don't know how many verses there are. 23? Yeah, that's what I thought. Chapter 1, Ephesians, verse 23. Remember I said we're going to go back there? Remember this, which is his body, the fullness of all and all. Okay, so he's right there. Do you, do you do understand that there's no uh, chapters in the Greek? <laughs> they had to put them as, a, as they thought. They, the thoughts can keep right on going, you know what I mean? All right, so he's saying up to this point, I, I pray that God give you the wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened, that you may know the hope of his calling and what the riches of the exceeding greatness of his power to us were who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And then he gives all these other things that happens when he raised him from the dead. And the, it continues on with verse 1 of chapter 2, which is what, chapter 2, Verse 1, and you. Now, if you haven't already got it, basically he's saying, and I'm just saying in my words, hyperbole, but not much. Everything, it took everything to, for, for God to raise Jesus from the dead and you. You understand what I'm saying? It wasn't, it wasn't getting his son out of hell that was such a big task. It was getting Don Yarbrough out of hell that was the task. Because that's where I was. And God did everything in his power to save me. He died for me. He didn't just die for me on the cross. He died for me spiritually and he went to hell for me. Because that's where I was. Wow. You see, the, the, the Trinity means a whole lot more to me. Because it's personal. Because God the Father was separated from God the Son for me. That's love. 
That's real love. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. Thank you for what you did for me. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. You're my God, my Father. Lord, thank you for sending your Son. I believe that when Jesus was sweating great drops of blood, I believe the Father. Listen to this. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, I'll just tell you what it says. I stopped in Isaiah, but a verse or a couple of verses down, it says something absolutely insane. I've got a book called The Insanity of God. You ought to read it. This is absolutely, God is absolutely insane. Not our meaning of the word. Do you know what it says there? Do you know what it says? This is absolutely unbelievable. After all of Isaiah 53, it says, And it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased the Father. Wow. I, 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 I don't understand that. Why, why was Jesus sweating? God, great, great. Why? And how could he please him? Jesus said, it says in, in Hebrews, Jesus says the reason he was able to go to the cross was the joy that was set before him. And do you know what the joy that was set before him? Me. You. It pleased the Father to... What, what kind of a God do we serve? What kind of a God does this? He's insane. I would never do anything like that. But he did. And we survived. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. That also gives a little meaning to when we break the bread. Hallelujah. Can you, do you love him? Ron Perry used to sing back at Teen Challenge. A song that was, I've tried to find it by Googling. I can't find it. Is it any wonder that I love him? When Jesus did all he did for me. Is it any wonder? One of the lines is how he watched me stumble downward. Saw each compromise I made. Heard each lie I whispered just to get my way. Is it any wonder that I love him when Jesus died for me?